Thank you for listening to the Competition Committee podcast. Check out new podcasts every Thursday. If you know, you know. Welcome to the Competition Committee, where we make sports more fun for the fans. And today, we will be solving a problem in the NFL, playing a game called Order These Losers. We will be solving women's basketball. And at the very end, we'll dig into some emails. As always, I'm joined by my compadre, JJ. On this week's episode, we are joined by our guest pundit, David. David, thank you so much for joining us this week. How are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I'm happy to be back. I had a great time last week, and I'm looking forward to uh, this show as well. Absolutely. We are excited to have you again. Let's jump right in, JJ. NFL, last two minutes of the half. How are we going to fix this? Well, this is my second time trying to fix this. We tried this on episode one. Here's what I proposed on episode one. I proposed that in the last two minutes of a game, that the play clock would, I should say the game clock, would stop um, after the end of every play. And my thought was that would keep from what, that would keep from what happened at the Super Bowl from happening again. If you remember the Super Bowl, we had this super exciting game. We got to the end of it, and then we just watched the Kansas City Chiefs sit on the ball until they kicked a, a field goal and won the game. So I was trying to solve that problem. It turns out, um, that the problem I was trying to solve, I created a different problem. And Parker, you and Price both pointed this out. You said I was slowing the game down terribly. Of course, I thought I wasn't slowing the game down. I thought, well, it's going to happen real fast. Um, it's going to happen real fast. It's just that they won't be able to hold the ball till the end. And then I looked to see how many plays I was creating. An NFL play takes a little bit over four seconds. So if you take 120 seconds and you divide it by four, you come up with 30 plays. So I would be packing 30 plays into the last two minutes of a game. It turns out an average quarter only has 38 plays in it. So I would be almost doubling the length of the fourth quarter. So that was a terrible idea. And Parker, you did a good job of pointing out why it was a bad idea. So now I have a better idea. Again, the problem we're trying to solve is we're trying to solve the problem that happened at the end of the Super Bowl, where we ended up with a boring end of the game where we're simply waiting for the Kansas City Chiefs to kick a field goal and win. But the thing that we don't want to step on, the thing that we don't want to change at all, is the two-minute drive. The two-minute drive in the NFL is about as exciting as sports can get. So here's what I'm proposing. My solution to this problem is that we change the play clock. That's not the game clock, but the play clock from 40 seconds to 20 seconds in the last two minutes for all plays in which the game clock continues to run. So if you throw an incomplete pass or if you throw it out of bounds, you still have the 40-second clock, just like we normally have. However, if you stay in the field of play and are tackled, instead of having 40 seconds to get the playoff, you now only have 20 seconds to get the playoff. David, Parker, what are your thoughts? When I first heard the idea, the original idea, I thought that you were taking some of the strategery out of the game with 
getting rid of the timeouts and all of that. And that's kind of a small aspect of it, but it also, you know, that's kind of the, you know, excitement of it. But with this, what you've, what you've essentially done is made the, tw- the two minute drill effective for everybody at all times because they've cut the play clock in half and it's just going to be action and action and action. And I think it's fantastic. Let me propose another issue that you might have inadvertently created. Will there be more delay of game penalties by the teams from this proposed rule change? If by the end of the game, let's say a team hasn't saved their timeouts appropriately and they don't have as many timeouts or they don't have any and they have to quickly go to the line, the crowd's cheering, it's an away game, they got to get a playoff and you just cut their time in half, how is that going to affect them? Well, I don't think it's going to affect the two-minute drive at all because in the two-minute drive, they're getting to the line much quicker than 20 seconds. So the place that might affect them is when they're having a normal drive at the end of the game. So what we're basically creating is a situation where the final two minutes is basically a no-huddle, absolutely most plays start as no huddle, get to the line, do a unless bunch of audibles, you throw the ball, unless you, unless you get the ball out of bounds or it's an incomplete pass. Then yeah. you, you stay with the 40-second clock. So, again, okay. what I think I'm doing is not changing the two-minute drive at all. I think the two-minute drive stays exactly the same. They're using less than 20 seconds of the play clock to hike the next ball if they're in the field of play. The Eagles, in, in about – 2018, I think, were, were running a hurry-up offense, and they averaged 22 seconds between plays for an entire game, which is crazy fast if you're doing it for an entire game. But I think it's really, really reasonable that a team could successfully have 20 seconds between plays. It might make it a little bit interesting when they go to kick a field goal because they don't have very much time to set up if they – if they didn't get the ball out of bounds or didn't throw an incomplete pass. Of course, if you've got plenty of downs, you can still spike the ball, just like they do right now, to, to stop the clock. Let's go back and look at what happened at the end of the Super Bowl. There was a defensive holding call on a cornerback that resulted in a five-yard penalty and an automatic first down. So where that put us was a first down with a minute and 49 left, and Philadelphia had one timeout. They burnt that timeout, and the Chiefs used every bit of the play clock they could use and ended up kicking a field goal with 11 seconds to go. The field goal took three seconds, and they only had eight seconds for the kickoff. So Philadelphia received the ball and were unable to do anything with it. If you had the new rule where you can only burn 20 seconds off when the field goal would would have been kicked. It would have been kicked at 51 seconds, and so Philadelphia would have had 48 seconds left. And we would have gotten to see what Philadelphia could do in 48 seconds. Maybe they get, maybe they can get in the field goal range. Maybe they can't. But it is exciting, more exciting than what we saw. Absolutely, and I think, and this is to go back to Parker's point about the <clears throat> delay of games. I think you could probably do something with that with kind of like the runoff they do with an offensive penalty that they have in those, you know, the last bit of, um, you know, the two minutes that 
and I forget the exact penalty that allows that, but you can do a runoff and that's how you penalize someone for advertently or inadvertently um, having a delayed game. I would love to have the NFL have a minor league system, just like where baseball does, where they can kind of institute these rules just to see how they play out before they do it in the major leagues. I would, cause I, I would love to just see this. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time picturing in my head of how well it would go. I would love to just see this for a season just to see, or they could do it in the preseason if they want to, but just to see how it would all play out prior to them instituting it into the, the regular season. But although I bring up that problem, that doesn't mean I don't like it. I, I would love to see in the two minutes more of that no huddle, hurry up offense. I think that's one of the best parts of the end of the game is they don't have enough time. The crowd's loud. They just got to get to the line and come up with some sort of play and quarterbacks doing audibles. You know, I, I like it. You guys want to vote? I think I was just going to say, go ahead, thing. I think, I think JJ's point of um, how that would have made the Super Bowl that much more exciting is, you know, the key aspect to this entire thing is not sitting around and being disappointed at the end of the game with, in that particular case, how exciting that game was. So that's yeah. what you would get. Okay. Well, if I'm going first, you know how I always vote. I'll, I'll try to make my argument again. This rule change doesn't hurt the two-minute drive at all. And the only thing it really does is keep that holding the ball for a field goal from happening. So I'm going to give it a 10, but I bet you already knew that. David? Uh, I'll give it a 9. I will give it a 6. I think it is above average. I would like to see this instituted in the preseasons just to see how it would go. But I, I do overall think it would be more fun for the fans. So I'll give it a six. 8.3. I think anything above eight gets sent to the NFL. Perfect. We will send this off to Mr. Roger Goodell. We will take a brief break. And when we come back, we'll play Order These Losers. Parker, want to grab a burger and fries for lunch? Let's head over to Sambo's. Sambo's, we're not as racist as you might think. Welcome back. Parker handed me the microphone and told me I could host this section. So we're going to play a game called Order These Losers. The way the game works is we've got four categories. David, as the guest, you're going to get to go first. You get to pick a number one to four. I'll read you the category, and then I want you to put these in chronological order to when they happened. So one to four, David, what do you pick? I like prime numbers, and I'll pick the largest prime number of those. So I'll pick three. I'm going to read to you the last four women's NCAA championship losers, and you have to put them in order that they occur. Oh, good Lord. One of them should be easy. It just happened. I've got UConn, Iowa, Arizona, and Notre Dame. I'm going to go Yukon, Arizona, Notre Dame, Iowa. Oh, that is I, incorrect. Yeah, it is. I just I just remembered last year. Parker, what was your order, David? Yukon, uh, Arizona, Notre Dame, Iowa. Okay. Parker, you have the opportunity to steal. If you get it correct, you get one point. If you get it incorrect, you lose two points. Would you like to steal? I know two of these. 
but not. So that gets you a 50-50 shot. <laughs> I will pass. I don't want the minus two. I will pass. Okay, here's the order. In 2019, Notre Dame lost to Baylor. Yep. In 2020, there was no tournament. So in 2021, Arizona lost to Stanford. Last year, UConn lost to South Carolina. And this year, Iowa lost to LSU. I flipped the UConn. So we are currently zero to zero. Okay. Parker, pick a number. One. The category is cities that lost NFL teams. I am going to read four cities, and you tell me in chronological order which ones lost lost the NFL teams. I realized that all of these happened before either of you were born, but I was around Gosh. to remember them. Here we go. Got Los Angeles, St. Louis, Houston, and Baltimore. Again, Los Angeles, St. Louis, Houston, and Baltimore. Okay. And the team I say first, is that the The one that happened re- the longest to go. Longest to the go. Longest. Okay. Let's see here. Okay. I think I'm ready. I will say LA, Baltimore, Houston, St. Louis. That is incorrect. Oh, what? Really? What what was your order? I had He it. went with Los Angeles, then Baltimore, then Houston, and then St. Louis. Would you like to steal? Mm. Sure, why not? We'll make this interesting. I mean, this is going to be a pillow fight, so whoever has the most negative or the least negative points might win. I'm going to go St. Louis, L.A., Houston, Baltimore. Nobody's even close. Oh, let, me, let me just try one more time. You said I wasn't close? Well, let me see. No, not even close. Really? Yes. Okay. Let me. Wasn't St. Louis the last? They just lost their team. That was the last team, right? I think this was the first time it happened, right? Oh, yeah. That might not be fair. (laughs) Yes, this was the first time it happened. Not the not the second time it happened. (laughs) This this game. this game may be a there may be a challenge situation which I don't know how to handle yet. I was Let's born see in the if you had, We if can you, talk about this in future TCC pods of how we can go, make how this, to play game this better. <laughs> so if we let you say, see, I was referring to the Cardinals going to Arizona, you were referring to the Rams going back to Los yeah. Angeles. Yes. So if we took or Parker, you would have gotten it correct. That's what I thought. <laughs> no, you still, you still, you still would have missed it. Okay, was it Baltimore? The first LA? one that happened, the first one happened was Baltimore left okay. for Indianapolis. It happened in the middle of the night. They didn't even announce it ahead of time. They rolled out of town and went to Baltimore. The second, that was in 1984. The second was, was a, in 1994. Okay, the second, <laughs> the second one was 1995. And it had it was Los Angeles, and interestingly enough, the same year the Raiders went to, back to Oakland, and the Rams went to St. Louis. The third, oh, I said that out of order. I'm sorry. St. Louis to Arizona was 1988, so that was the second. The third was 95, with both teams leaving Los Angeles, and the most recent was Houston Oilers to Tennessee. Anyway, so this is this is was messed up a little bit, but I'm glad to see that. 
Parker wouldn't have gotten it correct anyway. So, David, you're now minus two. Pick a number, David. There's one of these that I really think David will get correct. Oh, gosh. Uh, We'll go four. Okay, I think you can get this one correct. Masters runners-up, I guess you would call that the first-place loser, starting in 2010. We have Lee Westwood, Angel Cabrera. And Cabrera. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have a hard time saying this one. Louis Oosthuizen. It's Louis Oosthuizen. Okay. And Jason Day. Hmm. Now, if you'd asked me the winners, I pr- I would have gotten that. We may have a bonus round down. where you get to try to get the winners. <laughs> uh, the year that Oosthuizen made his double eagle on two was when he lost. Let's see. I'm going to go Westy. Sorry, Westwood, Oosthuizen, Cabrera Day. That is incorrect. Mm. Parker, you want to steal it? Yes. Okay. Give me Angel Cabrera, Louis Oosthuizen, Westwood, and Day. That is incorrect. <sighs> okay, so round minus two to years. minus two. Okay, I'm just going to, just for kicks and giggles, I'll give you the winners and see if you can get them in order. But this isn't for points. Phil Mickelson, Adam Scott, Bubba Watson, and Charles Schwartznizel. 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 He's South African. Uh, Mickelson, you said it started in 2010? Yes. Mickelson won in 10. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was the next one? Adam Scott, Bubba Watson, and Charles Help me out. Schwartzel. Schwartzel. Man. Um, Schwartzel won it in, let's see, 14. I can't remember. Scott would have, he won, I think, in 16. And what was the fourth? I'm sorry. Bubba Watson. Well, he won it twice. Uh, I don't remember those two years either. I'd have to start with 99 and go chronologically to here. So. Apparently, my master's um, winners are knowledge. Is Park, not as Parker, good as you think, think, think it is? Think you got a guess? Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Phil Schwartzel, Scott, Bubba. Oh, you wanted that the years. You, you got you got close. Wow. You got Bubba, um, Bubba Watson and Adam Scott mixed up. So yeah. it was okay. Phil Mickelson, then Charles, then Bubba, then Adam Scott. That's fine. okay. We're minus two to minus two. You are left with. Uh, Number two. Okay. Parker, this is in the 2000s. I'm going to give you four people, four teams that lost the World Series. You give me the order. Okay. Are you ready? I've yep. got Astros, Tigers, Rays, and Rockies. Lovely. Well, I know the Rays was in 2008. Astros. They weren't cheating at this time. Allegedly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do Rockies, Tigers, Rays, Astros. Rockies, Tigers, Rays, Astros. You are incorrect. David, would you like to steal? Absolutely not. 
we're going to end in a tie, minus two to minus two. Maybe this game is too hard. Um, <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> maybe we'll try order these winners next time. Um, okay, so here are the winners. This was starting in 2005. I'm sorry, here are the losers. In 2005, the Astros lost to the White Sox. In 2006, the Tigers lost to the Cardinals. In 2007, the Rockies lost to the Red Sox. And in 2008, the Rays lost to the Phillies. That's where it confused me because didn't the Astros lose in the World Series to the Dodgers or, yeah, to the Dodgers just recently? When I said 2000s, I meant that decade. Gotcha. We'll, uh, We'll work on this game for next time. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to solve women's problems. Parker, let's watch the lightning game tonight at a bar. How about we meet at the ESPN Zone at 7? ESPN Zone. Eat, drink, watch, play. We are back to solve women's problems, and more specifically, women's basketball. JJ, I'll bring you in here. What's the problem, and how are we going to fix it? The problem is not enough people like the WNBA. Their attendance is low. Average attendance is only 5,600. They can't pay their players very much. The minimum salary is $62,000. The maximum salary is $202,000 ends up with an average of $148,000. These are professional basketball players who have short careers who aren't able to make very much money. There is a women's basketball program that is successful, and that is women's college basketball. First, we'll talk about attendance. South Carolina's attendance last year, they averaged 13,000 people a game for a women's basketball, over double what the WNBA averaged. In fact, the top 10 college women's programs averaged more attendance than the WNBA. So that's the attendance problem. Here's the money problem. With the WNBA players maxing out at $202,000, there are women's college basketball players who are making substantially more than that in the name, image, and likeness business. In fact, Paige Bruckner's UConn basketball player is set to make $824,000 this year on name, image, and likeness. Wow. Harley Cavender of Miami is going to make almost $800,000. So is her sister. There are girls in playing college basketball making substantially more than women in the WNBA. So why is college basketball more popular than the WNBA? I'm going to argue that colleges have a natural built-in fan base. People want to cheer for colleges. And here's what I propose. Women who are playing college basketball, when they graduate or they finish their eligibility, are allowed to stay at the same program that they played their last year and play for six more years. So instead of graduating and going to the WNBA, they would stay at the same school and they would be eligible to play for six more years. 
they would be paid by the school an equivalent of an assistant coach, and they would get all the benefits, health benefits, and the things that they need to live their lives, and they would have the opportunity to make name, image, and likeness money. I think this would build popularity in college basketball and make make it even more popular, and there would be even more money available. What are your thoughts? I think I don't think the name, image, and likeness, or NIL, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think that's for for a very few amount of people for various reasons. They could still make that when they go to the WNBA. I'm not sure they do. I haven't done any of the research on that by any means. I think what it would do is it could it could limit who's coming in to play college basketball right out of high school. I think that could be a detrimental thing to 18 year old girls who are coming up and trying to play, having to compete with women who are, you know, four to 10 years older than they are. But I do also think that if you built that fan base and you, and you had these people there uh, or these women there, I should say, and they went on to the WNBA after that, you know, it, it could actually help the WNBA get a little more popular because you have this fan base of people who want those players, like those players and would follow them wherever they go. Yeah. My only concern, I think you touched on a little bit, David, is the skill discrepancy. Once we get into the four five, six year college athletes, they're on their sixth year playing against the freshmen how much of a discrepancy are we going to be looking at here? I don't know enough about women's college basketball to you know to see that from a from a naked eye, just looking at a game, um, especially this past NCAA March Madness tournament. But which was fantastic, by the way. Yeah, I forget her name from Iowa. What, what's her name that shot all those threes from half court? I forget Clark. her name. I think her last name is Clark. Yeah. Caitlin Clark. Yes, no. Caitlin Clark. Yeah, I think you're right. If she were to play an additional. What is it? It would be two more years for her. I guess three more years for her. No, How, I'm arguing that they get to play six years. They six years after senior year. After their senior year, oh, they wow. essentially get to play yeah. the first half of their career at okay. at a program that is much more popular than the WNBA. They would. It would solve the problem of them being compensated more. The only issue would be there would definitely be a skill discrepancy that would arise in my opinion. Yeah. You've got a good point. You've got a point that the freshman, sophomore and junior girls who are having to compete with people who have as much as seven years more experience than them, they but are going to be they would a just, huge disadvantage. But they might just have to wait their turn. I mean, they, they might just have to wait two years until their skill meets at that certain level where they can you know, play at the level that their five, six year call other college athletes are playing at. They just might have to wait a little bit longer, but I'm not sure they would. I mean, I acknowledge it's not, it's not a perfect solution. It just seems like there's some way that they should take advantage of this fan base they have because they lose it when they go to the WNBA. This girl playing in Iowa is going to end up playing in Las Vegas or something. And, and, the fans aren't going to follow her the same way they would when she's playing for Iowa. Yeah. What if you created a pro team for each college and go head to head with it, WNBA? Or that, or I'm just saying, you you have a, a collegiate team and you have a pro team associated with each fan base. 
And then obviously you wouldn't have every college wouldn't have a pro team, but you would, you know, the big fan bases, maybe there's relegation in it and you could have pro teams and they could go in there and uh, they could keep their star players for six years or, you know, if it blew up, you could do it for even longer. And that might be a way to. That's an interesting idea. So you're saying like you take the top 30 women's programs and each women's program has a professional team associated with it. So after they graduate, they can either elect to go to the WNBA if they want to, or they can stay at that school's professional basketball team. Yeah. Um, so you have the built-in fan base. That sounds pretty interesting. That that may be a better solution than my solution. That would definitely fund that school booster league. I mean, you got your alumni boosting it. You got your boosters boosting it. Your school can get behind it with funding. And it would absolutely decimate the WNBA. But if we're trying to solve the issue of trying to compensate women's athletes better, I feel like that would be a, a better route. Well, then I think, I think I'll amend my rule to David's rule. So women who leave when they graduate are eligible to join that professional team that is associated with the school. And I don't think there's any reason to have a, a limit on how long they play. They can play as long as they are useful. Right. Okay. I think we're ready to vote on this one, Parker. Okay. David, kick us off. On well, your you know, nat- rule. I would say naturally, I probably like my proposal more than JJ's. I haven't really thought it out, but you know, it, it could be, it could be a good, a good thing. I'll give it, we can't vote seven. So I'll say, I'll say eight. I'll go next JJ and you can finish this off. I like the idea of getting behind a school boosted team a school-boosted pro team, I feel like it would generate a lot more revenue and it would generate a lot more compensation for the female athletes. I will give it a nine. Well, I'm in a spot where I would give it an eight, but David might point out that I always give my own 10 and uh, would only give his eight. So I'm going to give it a 10. So, <laughs> so what do we have? A 10, a nine, and what was yours, David? An eight. So we're so at nine. We're averaging nine. I don't know who we send this off to, but I know we don't send it to the WNBA because they're not going to like it. <laughs> no, they would throw this in the trash. We might do it anyway, though. We'll see. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I like it, though, David. That was, that was good stuff. We will take a brief break, and when we come back, we will dig into the email bag. Parker, if you can't get into UT, what's your safety school? Well, if UT doesn't accept me, I'm going to ITT Technical Institute. ITT Technical Institute. You will be amazed on how many student loans you can get attending a school with no academic accreditation. Okay, let's dig into the mailbag here. We have three emails today from our loyal listeners. JJ. You're an idiot. 187 <laughs> games played in the NFL. That is about how many games there were until week 12, about 4 p.m. Eastern time. The math isn't that complicated. 32 teams playing 17 weeks is 16 times 17 for 272 regular season games. Then 14 teams play 13 games in the postseason for a total of 285 games. You were only off by 98 games. Steve from Austin, Texas. Thank you, Steve. 
<laughs> well, I don't know if, if idiot is the appropriate uh, term, but I will point out that as soon as we got uh, as, soon as, as soon as we got off the air last week, David pointed out that I was wrong, um, and we didn't go back and fix it. So my mistake. Well, thank you, Steve, for correcting us. We appreciate that. Now, to be fair, we both, Parker and I both said that we, there were 400 plus games. So if we're, I think all of us might be a little bit of an idiot in that. Yes, we're morons, but, it, but not an idiot. In fairness, I had time to think about it. You were put on the spot. <laughs> okay, let's do this next one from Donald from Chattanooga. Competition committee. I grew up in Chicago in 1966. I had never heard of the free kick rule until listening to the WGN radio broadcast of the Packers-Bears game from Wrigley Field. Late in the game, the Bears are driving for a game-winning field goal, but were forced to punt from midfield. Green Bay tried to run out the clock, but the Bears forced Green Bay to punt from deep in their own territory. With seconds remaining, the Bears called a fair catch around the 30-yard line and called a timeout. Somebody in the radio booth said that he thought the Bears would call a free kick, and the regular announcer said, what's that? As they announced the teams looked like they were lining up for a kickoff, they said the kick went through the uprights at the goal line and the Bears won over the Packers. Then, after the game, the radio explained the free kick rule. Thank you, Donald. I think we've got, I think we've got to credit Donald for having an amazing memory. Yeah. He remembered the end of a game in 1966. That's, uh, that's quite impressive. At Wrigley Field. That is awesome. I, I think Actually, one thing that we may not have pointed out last week is that free kick is an undefended kick. Yeah, they simply right. get to kick. They get to line up and kick it, and the defense isn't even on the field. Yeah, it's just um, two players, the holder and the kicker. That's interesting. Well, what's, my dad grew up in Chicago as well, and uh, his, his uncle was a um, – a pastor up there and he he told me this story all the time of how he would he and his and my dad and my grandfather would sneak out of the back of the church at, at the end of the service and go and get in the car waiting for i guess my great uncle to be done doing with the service and he would sneak out as the choir was singing the last song get in the car and they'd go watch the bears so <laughs> they might have been at that game for all i know there you go Okay, let's finish off with an email from Nigel from Modesto, California. Committee members, the big three, Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic, have dominated men's tennis for nearly 20 years. This is at the detriment of all other players, especially the American players. They have won almost all of these slams because they are better than anyone else. In the five-set format, almost always guarantees the best player will win. It takes out the opportunity for the lesser player to get hot and win. Let's change the Grand Slams to three-set matches and let some other men, American men, win. Nigel from Modesto. Well, I found this interesting. So I, I, I did see this email ahead of time, and I went and looked it up. I looked up the Grand Slam finals from 2005 to 2022. And if they had been only three-set matches, the big three would have lost only five of those. So I guess my argument is making this change wouldn't make that much of a difference. Wouldn't that be for all other matches, not just the five set matches? The final you matches, good, you mean? The final matches? You've got 
you've got a good point. So I was just looking at what happened in the in the final. I guess they've got to win. What are there six matches coming up to the final? So they'd have more opportunities for luck to to work against them. So it probably would have resulted in significantly less wins for the big three had this been instituted. I thought about this all day. Um, I actually just listened to a podcast about a uh, they. It was a golf podcast, and they had a um, poker player on there, and they were talking to him. And he said, yeah, any given night, any amateur poker player could beat him. And he's one of the top professional players in the game. He said, but if you play 100 times, he's going to beat you 75 of those 100 times. But there is, obviously, in the game of poker, luck involved. And you can also take it to live golf. I know Live Golf is famous for doing the 54 holes instead of the 72 holes. Does that actually determine who's the best, you know, golfer on that particular day? So I think what you really have to ask yourself is if are you trying to determine who is the best athlete in their respective sport or are you trying to do it as an entertainment product? Professional sports, while, you know, every sport is competition, it is, you know, you're trying to, you know, the best player win. That's not always the case. But when you get to professional level, it has become an entertainment product. There, There's lots of money. There's there's a lot of other factors involved in that. So if you would like to make it more, enter, you know, entertaining for the fans, then yes, you would, you would want to take it to the three-set match because it's a shorter amount of time. There is some luck, obviously not as much as poker, but there is some luck involved in that. But if you're actually, if the if the point of the competition, if of the tournament or or the game or whatever it is, is it's trying to establish who is the best on that given day or that tournament or that week, then the longer you play will allow you to determine who is the best that week. Yeah, as, as a tennis purist, I might have to, argue that having it being five sets is why I love major tennis tournaments to begin with. Uh, Nadal was actually asked this a couple of years ago about changing the majors to three sets. And he said, quote, I mean, winning grand slams, playing best of three demands to the player something else. No, stronger mentally, stronger physically, be solid for such a long time and for such a long two weeks. I really do believe it's the right thing to do to keep it five sets. And I tend to agree with them, especially in major tournaments. These are prestigious tradition, rich in tradition. You want the best players in the world to to be playing at their best and to be playing at their best in five sets. There have been so many times where Nadal has come back, you know, being down 0-2 sets to start the match or in, in other circumstances where he had to come back in five sets, it brings another proponent to the match of patience, longevity, being able to figure out your opponent. You know, it might take you a couple sets to figure out your opponent. And that's what makes major tournaments in tennis so much fun to watch is finding those little intricacies in the game where you might be down 0-2. How much more can you dig into your body? to try to be able to come back and win those next sets to win the match. I, I, I would, I would love to keep it five sets, but that's just my opinion. 
I, I understand where Nigel's coming from, and I think he's right. If they were if they were only three sets, we'd have a lot more. We'd have a greater chance for lesser players to get hot and win or get lucky and win. But Parker, I agree with you. Five set tennis is pretty is pretty cool. It's an actual endurance sport, both physically and mentally. So I think we ought to vote on this so I can finally not give something a ten. <laughs> okay, you want to start us off? Yeah. I understand what he's trying to do, but I'm going to give it a three. I don't think much of this idea. David? Yeah, I think um, we've all kind of touched on it. Ultimately, it's the best person should win. And if you're the best at it, you can do it longer than most things. Um, So I'm going to give it a two. I will give it a one as a tennis purist. I love the five sets, and I wish it never changes. Well, it's pretty easy for me to average that. So we have an average of two. This one is, I'm not even sure who you would send it to, but it's not going anywhere. Thank you for the email regardless, Nigel. We appreciate it. That is going to wrap today's episode. I want to thank David for joining us today. I also want to thank our sponsors, Sambo's Restaurants, ESPN Zone, and ITT Technical Institutes. You can use the links in the show notes to reach us. We need your help to make the Competition Committee a community. Please text a few of your friends a recommendation and a link to our show. It's easy. Click the three dots in the upper right corner of your phone. Select share, messages, type the name of three friends, and ask them to check out the show. That's all it takes. Thanks for joining us this week and look for our new episodes each Thursday. That's all I've got, man.